0: You're listening to Teach, Think, Treat, a Royal Children's Hospital Education Hub podcast. This podcast is for healthcare professionals and students about teaching and learning in a busy clinical setting. Whilst our setting is a tertiary paediatric hospital, our experiences and challenges are shared by many professionals and students in other clinical environments. Hello, my name is Steve Lacey and I'm the Allied Health Education Fellow in the RCH Education Hub. I also work as the tutor radiographer in medical imaging at RCH. So picture this, you're in charge of supervising a number of students in your organisation. You have quite a range of student abilities from a struggling student all the way through to the cruising student and the high achieving student. And with the program and learning objectives that you've developed for this group, you try to encompass everyone to meet their needs. However, you find that you have to spend a lot of time with the struggling students and this is a very common thing in a clinical setting. But what effect is this going to have on the high-achieving students, and how can we best support them to continue to thrive and not feel so disengaged? Well, today I'm joined by Sophie Crotty. Sophie is a dietitian at RCH, and due to a particular interest in this topic, she's done quite a bit of research around supporting the high-achieving students. Thanks for joining us, Sophie.
1: Thanks for having me, Steve.
0: So, Sophie, when we were planning this podcast, you wanted to make it clear that you're not an expert on this topic, right? Right. Right. But you have done a lot of research, so you're more of an expert than I am, okay? So tell me, why did this spark an interest for you?
1: If you've ever supervised a struggling student, it's probably kept you up at night to some degree. Yeah. However, I've found it also personally challenging when I've been supervising the students that are these high achievers, you know, your typical A-grade students that just want absolute perfection that they're striving for. And I've found that they've had their own challenges when working with them.
0: But aren't these types of students, like your high achieving ones, the ones that you actually want as a supervisor, they're the easy ones that you can deal with, right?
1: Well, yes, to some degree. They're the ones that are at the absolute top of their course. Um, they come to you pretty much already competent. And it probably doesn't matter how good or not you are as a supervisor, that they'll thrive on their clinical placements anyway. Yeah, right. And I find that as a dietetic department within a tertiary paediatric hospital, we seem to be allocated a higher proportion of these higher performing students as it's a more challenging setting for students. Yeah. However, I found that it's not quite as simple as handing over all your patients and just letting them get on with it while you sit down, enjoy long coffee breaks and catch up <laughs> on a backlog of work.
0: Is that really what you want? Is it? <laughs> <laughs>
1: It's always what you hope for.
0: (laughs) Yeah, right. Okay, so what, what kind of challenges have you come across?
1: I've found that when I've stepped back too much, these students seem to disengage by the end of their placement. You can almost see the motivation seeping out of them week by week so that by the end of placement they might be taking a few sick days or they're less willing to engage in placement activities and learning experiences or they're just not putting in the effort that they were previously.
0: Okay. Well, so that's a really interesting way of looking at it. And I hadn't considered it like that before. I always thought that extra sickly was a result of someone struggling rather than someone being bored. So I suppose if they lose motivation by the end of their clinical placements, we run the risk that they may lose motivation with the profession that they've been working with towards entirely.
1: Absolutely. And there's a huge cost involved if we don't keep our graduates in the profession. So the student themselves bear the the brunt of the cost as they might have both the hex debt from the course that they have done, mm-hmm. um, reduced income while they've been studying and on clinical placement, as well as possible additional costs if they change their mind and follow a different path of study. But there's also costs to us as staff, a hospital, and the resources that have been put into training this individual.
0: Yeah, exactly. And how do we keep these students motivated then during their clinical placements? Like is there any research in this area?
1: Unfortunately, there was very little published literature that I came across as to sp- how to best supervise specifically these high achieving students mm-hmm. on their clinical placements. Instead, I had to take a broader look on- at the literature on motivation in general and extrapolate from some other learning theories. Oh, okay. So, the key understanding I discovered is the idea of appropriate clinical challenges. So challenge is a requirement for ongoing growth as a learner. And as student supervisors, we know the work-based learning placements are not only about applying theory in practice, but about fostering that self-directed learning behaviour and a culture of lifelong continuing development and learning in our students. So if there's no challenge for a student on their clinical placement, there's not that stimulus for development either. And as a result, we risk the highly capable student becoming bored and disengaged.
0: Yeah, right. So, and so what kind of things do you think that we would consider to be appropriate clinical challenges?
1: It all depends on the individual student and the nature of the work that they're doing. So for some students, that challenge may be increasing their workload so that they're seeing more patients in a day or across the week. For others, it might be increasing the complexity of the workload, so choosing more clinically complex patients. For other students, it might be increasing the variety of clinical conditions that they're seeing. So they have to draw on a broader theoretical knowledge base or in paediatrics, giving them that spectrum of ages from neonates through to adolescents so that they have to learn to adjust their communication style and draw upon their knowledge of child development.
0: In most disciplines, a paediatric placement for them would actually be considered a challenge. If you are a high-achieving student coming to somewhere like RCH would actually be quite the challenging situation that, that these guys should thrive on, right?
1: Absolutely. RCH does have a lot of challenges um, as a clinical setting. And so we always need to be careful that any challenge is balanced out with an appropriate level of support. So the students need to know that we'll still be there to help them out if the task or workload ends up being too much of a challenge. hmm Um, And we all have good days and not so good days, depending on what's going on at home, how well we've slept, what we've been eating. So as supervisors, we should be providing regular check-ins to find out how our students are coping on any particular day, as there may be some days they don't feel like they can cope with as much of a challenge, and they might just need a day of some easier tasks or routine reviews scattered amongst their more challenging day. And that probably goes for all students, not just the high achievers.
0: Right. So I think the other thing though, Sophie, is that when we have students coming here on placement, they've also, we've also got to be quite cognizant of the fact that they can be stressful situations that they might be dealing with, which we may not necessarily have prepared them for.
1: Absolutely. Just being in a clinical environment is a challenging and stressful experience itself. Sometimes the sights, sounds, competing demands, pressures of observations or university assessments that are going on in the background are enough of a challenge for students. And so those who thrive during the theoretical components of their degrees won't necessarily thrive on their clinical placements. Mm. And for those students that are the typical A grade students that are used to their high marks, that can really affect their self-esteem. And notion of self, if they've always seen themselves as a high achiever and they no longer feel like they are thriving, particularly if they feel like they're letting others down, such as their family or university lecturers who also expect them to do well.
0: Yeah, it's really interesting you say that because I've often felt that the high ATAR scores that are required to get into most healthcare degrees can often be somewhat of a detriment to that profession. Um, like I mean, it's great for a university to say that you know we set a really high standard of acceptance into the course and how great this is. We've got great high ATAR scores and that's fantastic. But when it comes to healthcare, I don't think that high academia is always going to be along the same line as a good bedside manner, for example. I think that sometimes someone who can be a really good achiever and be quite smart academically may not necessarily be able to communicate well with patients.
1: Absolutely. Those soft skills are skills in themselves. Yeah. So one learning theory that ties in nicely with what we've discussed so far about maintaining the high-achieving students' level of motivation is the idea of self-determination theory. And interestingly, this learning theory has also been looked at when talking about struggling students. So self-determination theory was first described by Desi and Ryan in the 1980s and proposes that there are three psychological needs to be met in order for optimal well-being. These are autonomy, competence, and relatedness. Mm -hmm. So having increased levels of these three aspects can enhance your intrinsic motivation, which is the inherent tendency to seek out novelty and challenges, to extend and exercise one's capacities to explore and to learn. And that's exactly what we want our students to be doing on their clinical placements with us. It's often the students who are more intrinsically motivated that are more likely to seek and respond to feedback on their performance and acknowledge their limitations and seek help when they're faced with difficulties, and which in turn help them to achieve that higher level of excellence than their counterparts. Clearly, our high-achieving students are likely to feel a high level of competence in their work, and as a result they're also more likely to progress with gradual independence on their clinical placement faster than their peers which increases their sense of autonomy so having these needs met can then enhance their feelings of well-being which in turn can further aid their learning
0: and so what about that third need relatedness how can we ensure then that our high achieving students are also having that need met
1: you're right and that's the one that we do sometimes need to focus on with these students. We need to ensure that their increasing independence and autonomy doesn't isolate our high-achieving students. So as discussed earlier, I've seen that intrinsic motivation in my highly capable students physically drop when they've been left to get on with the job Mm. and they haven't had that same level of close contact me as the supervisor or their peers in that peer learning type of model.
0: So you kind of think that they... Because they're high achieving, you think, well, we can kind of back off a little bit on that really direct supervision and give them a little bit more indirect supervision. But what the student actually wants is, I still want that direct supervision, right?
1: Yeah, these highly capable students still want the observations, regular feedback as to how to further improve their performance. And if we step back too much, then they don't get that. As supervisors, our role is to bend the mirror and highlight the further areas for improvement as well as offer them debriefs about the cases they have been seeing more independently.
0: Yeah, because I guess like even though they're they're a high-achieving student, they're still not perfect, right? And so we still have to be able to somehow help them along in some way, but just in a different way to what we would for a a regular student. Absolutely. And are there any other ways that we can change the way that we work with these students just to foster that sense of relatedness?
1: So we could have some cases where the high-achieving student is working with someone else in tandem, and that can be really effective to maintain that sense of relatedness. Yeah. And we can also leverage the idea of the zone of proximal development. So that's the set of things a learner cannot do on their own, but they can do with the assistance of a more capable other. Right. So that other person might be the supervisor. So you can work with the student on a more challenging case than would usually be appropriate for the student to see independently. Yeah. And this particularly can increase that sense of relatedness if both the student and supervisor are then bouncing ideas off each other. Right. And conversely, we can also use the zone of proximal development in a peer learning type situation where our highly capable student sees a patient with a less capable student and they work together. This not only extends the less capable student but can enhance their sense of independence and autonomy, which also helps their motivation.
0: On the flip side, could it also be an issue for the less capable student? I've seen that students often directly compare themselves to each other and even a student from like a a lower year level may may even be comparing themselves to someone from a higher year level. So how... How do you kind of get around that particular issue, do you think?
1: It's a matter of balance and it's, you know, looking at the personalities that you're working with and making sure as well that you're not relying on your high-achieving student only to be the teacher of the lesser capable student.
0: Yeah, but for the lesser capable student, you've got to be careful, I think, not to seemingly, even though you're not doing it, but seemingly belittle them at the same time. absolutely. Yeah. So even with the highly capable student then, there's still a student though with limited clinical experience compared to your qualified professionals in their field. What differences do you find between your high-achieving students compared to your lesser experienced colleagues?
1: And that's a good point. Even these high-achieving students are still students. They are still learning and they do still have that limited professional experience. So I think one of the key differences is that when we are more experienced, we are always thinking one or two or three steps ahead of where the patient is currently at, yeah. whereas students tend to focus a lot more on the right here, right now for mm-hmm. the patient in front of them. For example, a typical referral in dietetics is for a patient who's just had a new nasogastric tube inserted um, for some clinical indication, and we need to develop the feeding plan for that tube. Working out the feeding plan and choosing the best feed is bread and butter for us as experienced paediatric dietitians. Yeah. So when I'm writing up my initial plan, I'm already thinking about how I'll change the plan if it doesn't work or thinking further into the future about what the exit plan for that tube might be. Yeah. In comparison for students, working out that initial tube feeding plan takes up a lot of their cognitive load. So the highly capable student might come up with an initial plan for the tube quicker than their peers or be more confident in the rationale for their decision-making, but they're still tending to only think about that initial plan and not into the future.
0: Yeah, and I think that's very common for learners, particularly of new concepts. They do tend to think of what's in front of them or what the direct effect of an action might be, but they often forget about the the bigger picture. And another example that I can use is... Down in imaging, you might have a student that might be working really well and positioning a patient really well for an x-ray, but actually forget to talk to the patient at the same time and not realising that, oh, if I actually talk to this patient, they're going to continue to be cooperative. Whereas if I stop talking to them, that behaviour might change from the patient.
1: Yeah. And so as supervisors, we can nudge our more capable students beyond that initial level of competency and more towards proficiency by getting them to think about their patient care in that bigger picture sense. Yeah. And so we can encourage that more abstract thinking, which leads to a deeper level of learning, particularly in allied health where placements are often short, which means the students only ever see a limited number of patients and a limited number of outcomes. They're not providing that long-term care for a patient. Yeah. So we can help them by asking theoretical questions. How would they change a patient's management as the clinical picture changes? Or what course do they expect the patient to take post-discharge? How would they apply their learning from one case to a slightly different scenario, et cetera?
0: And, And I think what we need to remember here is that the clinical placement is about providing a foundation for their profession and teaching the learners the basic skills that they can then apply to more complex situations. And they're not going to see... All of those complex situations, all the time um, that they're going to be exposed to in, in clinical placement, they're going to have to do it so that when you know, even ten years down the track, they'll be like, "Oh, now I'm dealt with this situation that I've never experienced before." But because I have all of this foundation knowledge, now I can suddenly deal with it. The high-achieving students, though, are often given opportunities to test this application out, whereas the lower-achieving or even your middle-grade achieving students don't necessarily have those opportunities.
1: Yeah, but it's also important as a supervisor to ensure that the highly capable students, even when they're testing out their knowledge in the more capable, complex situations, that they are still working within their scope of practice and experience. As sometimes I've found that these students can try to do too much independently Mm. and sometimes don't recognise the limits of their experience and knowledge quite as well as some of their less capable or middle-of-the-road peers do.
0: Yeah, right. And have you had any cases when those strategies that you talked about haven't worked so well for a high-achieving student?
1: I have had some. And sometimes these high-achieving students are so used to that perfection, so full marks on assignments, high distinctions throughout their degree, that they don't seem to have that same level of feedback literacy that some of our other students have. So it might be on their clinical placement for the first time that they receive some constructive feedback and mm. hear that their performance wasn't perfect. So although we're targeting our feedback at improving their practice to further their development, it still can make them feel uncomfortable and can threaten their notion of self if they're not accustomed to receiving this constructive feedback.
0: Yeah. And you've got to watch out for those signs too, right?
1: Absolutely. When you give
0: when you're giving the feedback, you gotta look and see, okay, are they how are they actually taking this in?
1: The white face and yeah. white eyes. Yeah. Yeah. So some it doesn't matter how many conversations we have about the role of feedback, reflection, development, striving for continuous improvement, any feedback discussions where they don't hear from us that they're perfect just can just knock them. Yeah. And Yeah. Sometimes we just never seem to get through that. And I find these same students tend to also be more guarded in their self-reflections about their performance. And ultimately, I don't think that they learn and grow as much as over their placement as they could have when they are holding back from us. Definitely not nearly as much as their peers who are more open to the feedback and its role for learning.
0: A big problem as well for imaging medical imaging students too because I have often found that I have to give negative feedback to learners who are used to only positive feedback and it actually gets harder for the student the closer it is to the end of their course, particularly when it's the first time. So it seems to be more damaging for them. Um, look, Sophie, this is a, such a fantastic topic and thanks for sharing this with us and speaking on this topic today. Have you got any last-minute tips for our listeners out there about how to support these high-achieving students and how to be cognizant of their response to feedback?
1: I think the most important thing is to have that open two-way dialogue where the student is able to express their views about what is and isn't working for them on their placement and is able to request challenges specific to their learning needs. And it's also important that we remember as supervisors that these high-achieving students still do require adequate access and attention from us as supervisors so that they have the opportunity to grow and develop their clinical skills just as much as their struggling or middle-of-the-road peers.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Look, that's fantastic. Thanks a lot, Sophie. We've also had a previous podcast on structuring and delivering feedback, which came out in 2022, so check that one out if you can as well. Thanks again, Sophie, for the chat. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Teach, Think, Treat, part of the Royal Children's Hospital Education Hub podcast series. If you'd like to hear more of our podcasts, check out our other podcast show, Conversation with the Experts, where professionals from the Melbourne Children's Campus provide advice and insights, tips and tricks, and discuss latest research findings on a range of topics.